0: If you'd stand with me, I would appreciate it. Turn to somebody. Go ahead, turn. If you don't want to face your wife because of some difficulty, then look at somebody else, but face somebody. And say this after me Bless the Lord. O my soul, soul. and all that is within me, bless His his holy name. Bless the Lord, Lord. O my soul, soul. and forget none of His benefits. benefits. He's forgiven all of my my iniquities. Now you don't have to say this part, but that ought to be enough to take the roof off right there. I think we ought to have to say it again. He's forgiven all of my iniquities. He's healed and is healing all my diseases. Here's another good part. He's redeemed my life from destruction and crowned it with loving kindness and tender mercies. Made me a tree of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated. You know, church, with the worship like we've got here, somebody in this place really ought to praise the Lord. Really. I mean, it's just phenomenal. I'll try to not bear this out too long. Who said that? I want you to stand up so I'll just have somebody to back me up. Let me see you. Where you at? Thank you, Linda. I want to share with you this morning, this really took me back. Out of Psalms 147, primarily verses 1 through 5. You should read the whole chapter when you get home. You know, Bethesda has a... I'm going to say this, and you can call it pathetic or prophetic. I'm going to call it prophetic. We've been blessed with praise. I honestly believe in my heart that this fellowship is called to a deep place of worship. And in the midst of that worship, I'm tagging on this statement. I believe God is sending a wave of healing over this fellowship Now, that doesn't mean that some of us haven't had issues. In October, when I was diagnosed with cancer, my wife was in the back room, and I laid on the bed, and I raised my hands up. I looked like a nut. One of the girls told me she used to sit out in the yard in a lawn chair and talk to God. She said if the neighbors saw me, they thought I was crazy. But I was laying on the bed and Larissa was in another part of the house and I raised my hands up to the Lord and I said, I deserve nothing, absolutely nothing. I'm just a plowboy." But I said, I'm asking for your favor on my life. And I won't go into all the details of it, but God laid His favor on me. And I will say this, and I've probably said it before, but I need to say it again. I mean, you know, when you get older, you get repetitious. (laughs) If only we could remember how to get home. (laughs) 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 Joe Scocci's husband, I'll refer to him like that. One day, I saw Joe, and he had his shirt tail hanging out. And at the bottom of his shirt tail, there was a cleaner's tag. And I said, hey, bud, you left your tag on your shirt. He said, no, don't bother that. He said, my wife leaves that on there. It's my directions to get back home. (laughs) So I have this thing about cleaner tags now. After we'd had the bobs and we went into a conference room, I will share this detail. My wife was a nervous wreck. I mean, you know what the C word feels like. We were both a nervous wreck. I didn't know if it was all over my body. I didn't know where it was. We sat there listening to him, and he was telling us all this stuff about how cancer mutates and All this stuff. He said, most people don't understand what it's about. And I'm thinking, no, most people don't want to know what it's about. But he's explaining it. When we were done, we were still a nervous wreck. We stood up to leave the conference room, and this young doctor looked at us, and he said, can I pray with you people? I'm telling you. At that moment, every Bit of fear and anxiety just left. I mean, it, it just like God just blew it out of the room. And I thought, you know what? His favor upon us. How many of you know that there? How many in here don't have, don't owe him anything? How many of you know that we can never repay what we owe, but this one thing we can do, and that's give praise to Him now and forevermore because of what He's done. His favor rests upon this fellowship. I'm telling you. Now, I've been at this fellowship as long as I've been at Teen Challenge. Give or take a year. And I've heard words through the years over this fellowship. But I believe those words that's been hanging over this fellowship, and I'm going to say this through the worship and through the the, the the pastoral staff that God has put in this place, the foundation was laid, and now God's ushering in. All these words are going to come to pass and already are coming to pass. And there's a release of deep worship. I'm not talking about just singing out of the basis of emotionalism. I'm talking about it's coming out of deep, deep place in us of worship. And sometimes it's a literal sacrifice. Des has always said through the years that the first place worship is ever noticed is connected with deep sacrifice. It doesn't come easy. But I believe if we'll be committed to worship Him and lift His name up. You know, we have grand facilities here. How many of you know that's true? We have great facilities, but facilities don't heal people. Structure doesn't heal people. As long as I've been at Teen Challenge, I can tell you, if structure could heal people, I'd seen 37 years of it. Structure doesn't fix us. It just holds everything together while God does what needs to be done but I believe this wave of healing that's coming over this place, I'd say this to you, even if you have cancer in your body, praise Him anyway. Whether you're in the fire, praise Him anyway. Whether your home's in a mess this morning, praise Him anyway. Because God inhabits the praise of His people as we begin to exalt His name. How many of you know that's what makes the church grow? That's what makes stuff happen is when we begin to exalt His name and lift Him up, He begins to inhabit that place of our praise. So I'm connecting that deep place of worship here with a monumental wave of healing that God's going to flow over this fellowship. And it'll be deep. Some of it will be physical, and some of it will be spiritual. How many of you know sometimes, have you ever felt like in your life, and I'll get to where I'm going here in a minute, God help me. How many of you have ever felt like you have a lot of knowledge about God, but it's not fixing anything in your life? Nobody? Nobody? How many ever heard the lake of fire (laughs) for not telling the truth? (laughs) That's where we go. How many know we can know about God and have all this information, and we're walking around and we're internally bleeding? It's not healing us, something's not happening in us. But as God begins to bring revelation, you know what I believe? This happens in a place of worship. In this psalm, when it began to take hold of me, the very first verse that struck me was, Praise the Lord. After 70 years of captivity, the psalmist is writing this chapter, and he's saying, Praise the Lord. Have you got it up there somewhere on the screen? Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How delightful and how fitting. One version says how suitable it is for a king of the universe that we would sing praises to His name. The Lord is rebuilding Jerusalem. How many you know what Jerusalem is? Could we bring it closer to home? Jerusalem, Judea, the uttermost parts of the earth? Hey, here's Jerusalem right here. I'm all about foreign missions, but I'm really about home missions. I'm really about Jerusalem. I mean, you know, the healing of of our fellowship, the healing of our people in our city. And he's bringing the exiles back. He heals the brokenhearted. Now, this amazed me about this chapter. When you go home, you read it. God, he starts off talking about, praise the Lord, all these wonderful things God is doing, and he's building up Jerusalem, and right in the middle of all the wondrous acts of God, he takes the time to linger there a little bit about healing the wounds of his people. He speaks of the marvelous grace and power of God, and all of a sudden he's saying, the same hands that, that spun the universe into existence. The same words that spoke stuff into existence. Now those same hands is applying liniment to the wounded spirit and to the wounded body. God takes time out of all the majestic things He does to tend to us in our brokenness. I'll visit there in a minute. How delightful it is to praise the Lord. How fitting, how comely to a king. There is a call by the psalmist to praise the Lord. That's my goal this morning is to encourage you to bless the name of the Lord no matter your situation or your circumstances. I want to read you something. You say, is he going to go through all those notes? Probably not. Just look at your situation. In June the 16th, 1984, God gave me a word for this fellowship. I shared it on a Sunday morning. When I began to look back over this and God began to talk to me about a wave of healing and a wave of praise... He brought this back up, so I go out in the garage and I start shuffling through my notes and I found it. He said, this is what He said in my spirit. And when I got here that morning, I didn't read it. Somebody else stood up before the service started and gave this message out. And God was saying, see, this is is what I told you. He said, I hear the voice of the Spirit saying to the church, Bethesda, fear not. I am the Lord God that was and is and is to come. Speak to that that appears dead, and I will revive it. Do not be swayed by the situation or circumstances surrounding it even the smell of death arising from it for i am the lord god and is anything too hard for me right in the midst of all of this i felt like god is now bringing all this to pass how many of you got circumstances in your life that's not fun right now how many of you got circumstances in your life that it looks like the smell of death is coming off of it anybody got that going on God saying, don't be moved by what you see. Or the circumstances surrounding what you see. I am God Almighty. If you'll just exalt my name, I'll begin to show up in places. Now hold with me. Pay Him, we cannot. Worship Him, we ought to this morning. Somebody ought to pray. It's good to sing praises to the Lord. It's good. And after captivity, how many ever come out of captivity? How many ever come out of the pit? Anybody ever come out of the pit? After 70 years, these people are coming home. And their wounds are great. How many of you know that when God brings us out of captivity... He brings us out physically and spiritually and psychologically. And how many of you know our wounds are great? Everybody who comes out of bondage has problems. Just because God's brought us out of the pit we're in doesn't mean that we've been set on a plateau and we don't have to deal with problems now. But God's bringing us out and now He's going to heal us. Isaiah 56.8 says this, For the sovereign Lord who brings back the outcast of Israel says, I will bring others too. I mean, look at somebody and say, others too. That's me. He's going to bring others too besides my people, Israel. What reason to sing praises to the Lord? Songs of praise bring expectancy. How many of you feel like that you've lost a little of expectancy in your life lately? Yeah, I'm going somewhere with this. Just hold with me. How many of you feel like that I don't look for Him anymore? He is the God that was to me. I don't see Him as the God that is or is to come. We lose that expectancy. We don't look for Him anymore. Our praise becomes mundane. And I'm calling you out this morning to say, lift your eyes above your circumstances and begin to exalt the name of the Lord and begin to praise Him. And God's going to begin to show up incredibly mighty in the midst of our situations. What reason to sing praises to the Lord? The outcasts have come home. That's us. We have a lot of problems. We need a lot of healing, and God is the healer. Many, many great things happen when God's people begin to worship in song and in praise. I thank you, Pastor Brent, for what you brought to this fellowship, you and Janice. Thank you for that deep place of free worship. That's come in here. It's a part of what God's about to do. One of the ladies recently asked me how I got to Teen Challenge. How I many of you know it's a dangerous question to ask an old person how they got somewhere? <laughs> they're still trying to figure out how they're going to get back. We were in class and I was sharing a little bit and I bore them, I bore them crazy. You want to see some beautiful ladies? Stand up, people. I'd never embarrass you, but stand up. I was in class. One of the ladies asked me. She said, how how did you get to Teen Challenge? And it so caught me off guard. As I began to think how I got there, God began to race through my mind all these things, phenomenal things that occurred during that time of worship. I remember on a warm summer evening in the old house, we were in the living room. Have you ever heard of Nora Lamb? There was a lady at at the center who played the piano and led worship for Nora Lamb. She was in the living room. We had the screen door. The door, front door, was open. The screen door was there, and I remember everybody had gathered down into the living room, and there began to be offering of praise as she began to play. I don't remember the song. I just remember the deep praise that was going up to the Lord. And while we were praising the Lord, a mother and her sister brought the daughter, and the niece to the center. Normally, we don't take people in at night, but back then we did. She comes to the living room. Her teeth are rotted out. She's been on heroin for years. She's very skinny. And she looked horrid. Her eyes were sunk back in her head, and I never forget this evening. In the midst of that worship, when she come in, She didn't stand there for two minutes until she fell flat on the floor and began to manifest in some kind of demonic activity. And I remember the lady at the piano saying, Just keep on worshiping. And we just kept on singing and kept on worshiping. And God broke that thing in her life while she was on the floor all by herself. How many of you know this morning that as we begin to exalt His name and lift up the name of Jesus, He'll swiftly bring His Word in to set us free. I remember right here in this fellowship, right in the middle of this section, one of our ladies had a seizure one Sunday morning. Somebody sent word down to the end of the pew. She had gone into a seizure, so we come around, and we're trying to move her out into the lobby. How I many I mean, you know that's not a good idea? I wore ties back then. If you want to know why I don't have a tie on, it's because I value my life. I can't fit in with these young guys anymore. They just look too good. I walked around, and I don't know who else was there, but I remember us trying to carry her out, and I was up by her head, and when I looked in her eyes, I could tell it wasn't a seizure. They were rolling in her skull, and she reached up and grabbed my tie and had a death grip on it, and it got so tight, I thought I wasn't going to make it to the lobby. That's why I don't wear a tie. We hauled her out into the lobby and got her into a side room. And this was all during worship in this fellowship on a Sunday morning. There was an old boy there and he weighed about 250 pounds. And he was down by her leg and she flipped him up in the air like he was a peanut. His eyes got huge. And some of the ladies of this fellowship began to pray over, and God swiftly moved in and delivered her instantly. I went to St. Joseph's Hospital with her, and the doctor said, It looks as though she's never had any seizures. All of her lines are straight." You say, why are you telling us that this morning? I'm telling you that to say as the people of God begin to find a place of deep worship and we begin to pour out of our heart to the Lord, God will set the captive free. He will bind up the brokenhearted. He will heal the bruised for the glory of His name. This was in this fellowship. When Suzette Haddington was here, Hadding, how do you say that, Hadding? She was here, speaking at Bethesda, and during a time of worship, one of the staff ran to me and said, one of our ladies has ran to the bathroom they're praying for. She's manifesting demonic activity. And I want you to know, she is set free today. And it all happened during the during the process of this fellowship in worship. Don't underestimate our worship to the Master and to the King of the universe. It's not always in what we say. Sometimes it's in what's coming out of the deep of us. That deep place of exalting His name. Today she's married and she works at one of the campuses for TCU. Right in the women's bathroom back here. And by the way, we need to enlarge them bathrooms. You can't hardly get in and out of them. There's going to be a prayer ministry there. We need to fix them. (laughs) God set her free. What I'm saying to you this morning is this. If the church will lavish our praise upon the Lord God, He will set the captive free. Worship brings expectancy. As we begin to worship Him, there's something in us that rises up. Don't tell me that doesn't happen with you. You can come in all downcast and sometimes Brent Sandler, come on, let's worship. Or, Have you shown up for church yet? But as we begin to pour out our soul to Him, there's a certain expectancy that begins to rise up. And when expectancy comes up, then hope comes in. Is He just the God that was to you? Do you expect Him to show up? I remember Pastor Emeritus Dez telling a story of when he was in a refugee refugee camp in Cambodia. He was walking down through that refugee camp and there was a little boy that was walking in front of him, and his belly was swollen out, and he was malnourished. Dez said, I followed him, and he could hear him singing as he walked. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. And Dez said, as he was singing it, I started singing with him. Listen, even at the worst of condition, there's that push in us to bless the name of the Creator of the universe. It brings hope to us in a hopeless situation if we'll just call out to His name. I'll tell this last story and then I'll move forward. I don't know, it's something about old people telling stories. You know what I mean? You just do it. We were invited, our Teen Challenge Ladies Choir was invited to a local Baptist church. If you're Baptist, it's okay. <laughs> we went to this Baptist church, and I'm all worried and nervous. I'm thinking not our people are going to get over and start speaking in tongues, raising their hands. This is going to get weird. We're, we'll never go here again. We've never been invited there before. Come think of, we've never been back, but I'm not really trying to be funny this morning. I'm just trying to bring a point to you. Humor sometimes helps. I met the pastor. He said, make yourself at home. I mean, I'm actually, my hands were sweating. I'm thinking, I don't know what's going to happen here. When he introduced the ladies and they come up and began to sing and Charlotte, Charlene excuse me, was doing her thing, Sure enough, right off the bat, they start, they start singing and everybody's hands goes up. I'm thinking, oh, Lord, Jesus. And I'd already told them, just kind of keep it down a little bit, you know, keep it down a little bit. I thought, well, we'll never come back here. And God spoke to my heart. And he said, what do you expect them to do? Now, I'm not just preaching to Teen towns this morning. I'm sitting back there and God's saying, What do you want them to do? How many of you know when God has dug you from the deepest of the pit and it's dark and cold there and He's redeemed you and set your feet on a rock and all of a sudden we're afraid to lift our hands to the Lord? He said, What do you want them to do? How's gratefulness supposed to show itself anyway? How do you show gratitude? I said to the Lord, okay, you win. Martin Luther made this statement. He said, while we're teaching our kids writing and reading, let's teach them to sing. That they'd learn to praise the name of the Lord and weave it into your curriculum. When that service was over, or right when we turned it back to the pastor, the pastor got up and he made this statement, well, it seems a little bit babdicostical here. <laughs> and he asked in that fellowship if anybody had anything to say, and I, re- I remember two people, both of them older gentlemen, and one of them stood up and said, you don't realize that I had a drug problem in my earlier years. Another one stood up and made this statement. He said, these ladies this evening have taken us to a new place of worship. Grateful people like to worship. It's in our blood to want to bless His name for what He's done in our life. Some of us need to remember what He's done in our life. It's almost like we need to go do something wrong so we can repent to have something to bless His name about. He's the Lord God Almighty in the midst of these people. I'm trying to hold myself down. Some of us given up, we don't have any expectancy or hope. We're not looking for anything anymore. We're just going through the motions. We've done our thing by showing up. But along with God building up Jerusalem, He's gathering in the outcasts of Israel and others. Those who've been given into captivity are now gathered together to work. In this psalm it says He brought the outcasts home and He put them to work. I tell the ladies at Teen Challenge when you get saved and God does a work in your life, don't go set, careful Larry, don't go set on your rear and do nothing. If He saved you from the pit and you've lost a lot of years, then give Him all your service and pour into the kingdom. We don't need any people to sit. He's bringing the outcasts home, and He's using them now to build up the walls in the city of Jerusalem again. Look around you. You see any outcasts? They're there. In verse 3, He says this, He heals the broken in heart and He binds up their wounds. Among all the other things, while God has flipped the stuff in the universe and created all of this stuff, now, now, He tends to the broken in heart and the wounded of spirit. I think what a majestic Savior. Those who were crushed and broken in their long captivity, he has given them comfort in their own land. How I many you know that when God says, you ever know, where God has a people, He has a land? It's as important to God to have a, a land as it is a people nearly. Because when He redeems people, He takes them into their own space. He brings a new sense of identity to them. Those who were crushed and broken through their captivity, He now brings comfort into their own land. Isaiah 61 says this The Spirit of the Sovereign God is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news. He has sent me to bring comfort to the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners set free. Isaiah 1 6 describes the shape they come in from Babylonian captivity. It says, You are battered from head to foot covered with bruises and welts and infected with wounds. And there's no soothing ointment or bandages. Amidst the praise of rebuilding Jerusalem and the outcast coming home, the psalmist talks about the healing of the deep broken. Alongside the wondrous acts of God, he declares it the same God who leads the stars along, who telleth the, num- the number of them, their names, is now here to heal the broken and to bind up the wounds that we have. I dare to venture how many of us here walk around with internal bleeding of our wounds. And I'm encouraging you this morning, quit looking to people to bring healing to your wounds. Start lifting His name up out of your despair and hope will come to you and healing will come to you. God will begin to do something in you. People can't fix us. Marriage don't make you whole. He makes you whole. People can't fix people, no matter how close we are to them. It takes the power and the Spirit of an Almighty God to bring healing to the wounds of our spirit. Calls them and He binds up their wounds. Man, He takes the liniment. Is there, a, is there a bomb in Gilead? Is there a physician there? Let me tell you this morning, there is a bomb in Gilead. There is a physician there. There is the skillful hands that can apply the sad to your wounds and put those bandages around them carefully. What, what the psalmist says here is there is a great eel. It's a great sickness. It's a broken heart. How many ever had a broken heart? I'm not going to ask you how many sit here with a broken heart. Second, He not only talks about a great ill and sickness, He now says a great mercy. He healeth the broken in heart, and He bindeth up their wounds. He not only shows us there's an illness, He shows us there's a healing that comes to the body. Our captivity has brought lots of wounds into our life, our broken and broken hearts. Sometimes the ladies have said to me, I'm sorry I'm picking on you all today. Sometimes they'll come to me and say, My mom keeps sending me packages. Sometimes they get a package a week. It's like, okay. And I tell my mom, it's okay. It's okay. You don't have to send me anything else. Because they're there 14 to 16 months. I said, You know what that is? That's that's your mom. Grateful. Grateful to the Lord God that He she knows where you're at when it comes dark. She's sending you those packages to keep telling you. She loves you, and she's trying to keep you still so God can do something in your life. She's so glad you're here. That's the gratitude that comes out. Our captivity, bringing the wounds. Some of our wounds are physical. How I many of you know if we got physical wounds, we go get them taken care of pretty quick? But other wounds are Spiritual. And know this, there is a bomb for our wounds. The God of heaven knows your sorrows this morning. Just let Him take you to the throne. Open your heart before Him and He'll heal it. I actually had a lady call me. It's been probably 15, 20 years ago on the phone. And she said, could I talk to you? And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I have a daughter and she's on drugs. And I said, Do you have a fellowship? She said, I do. I'm in a women's prayer group. But she said, I'm afraid to share this information with the prayer group. I'm afraid they won't look at me the same. And I'm thinking, What's wrong with that picture? If we can't bear our wounds and our deep sorrow to the people we fellowship with, what's wrong with that picture? I prayed with her on the phone, and I said, God, comfort her and bring healing to her own heart. I want you to know this morning, your heart may be broken because of loss. Somebody's left our life, and it brings deep sorrow into us. It gets cold and dark there, and we can't hardly pour ourselves out. Maybe your problem is desertion. Maybe somebody that's been valued in your life has walked out and left you. Maybe that wound is in your heart and you come and present yourself to the Lord and it's difficult to stand before Him. It takes everything you got to be motivated. Or maybe your heart is broken and wounded because of drugs or divorce or debauchery. Whatever our woundedness this morning... There is a bomb in Gilead. I'm telling you this morning. There is a physician there for the church as well as the world. Nothing's too difficult for him. Nothing's impossible. What I'm saying to you this morning, and just let me preach a minute. I can't help it. What I'm saying to you this morning, that in the darkest of night, He's the light. He is still God at that place. And in the midst of the chaos, His Spirit brings order and it hovers over the chaos and brings shape to it. He's still God this morning. And in in the presence of our enemies this morning, He prepares a table before us. He's the host of heaven. He's still God this morning. And in the valley of the shadow of death, He is eternal life and He's still God this morning. We have no fear of evil. And in temptation this morning, He's the way of escape. He is still God this morning. In famine, He's your provider. And He's still God this morning. In sickness, He's your healer. He's still God this morning. In despair, He is still our hope. In our pain, He is our comfort. He's still God this morning. And in trouble, He is our deliverer. And this morning, He is still God. And I'm telling you this morning, He is the mighty deliverer, and He's a healer on top of that. I mean, you're tired of me screaming at you. It's hard for me to begin to talk about the greatness of God and not lose a little bit of control. How do you touch on those places of His greatness and yet His tenderness to us as a people and not get a little bit excited and expect a little bit? This morning, I'm expecting Him to show up. I'm expecting Him to touch us who are sick this morning. I'm expecting Him to heal those whose wounds are exposed. If he counts the stars and calls them all by name, he also upholds them by the word of his power. His power, the psalmist said in this verse, or in this chapter, verse 5, his power is absolute. His understanding is beyond comprehension. What by absolute I mean is that he needs no props. He's God alone. He doesn't need former glories or mercies because his mercies are new every morning. He is God all by himself. Nothing is too difficult for him. Say that with me, would you? Nothing is too difficult for him. His power is absolute. That means that in that power, He is free. He's independent of anything. He's extraneous. It's complete in Himself. Independent of any other cause. His power is absolute. What that says to you and me is this. That your situation and your predicament that no one else can see or that you don't know how to fix, God is independent of your situation this morning, but God is so connected with you that He can speak into your situation and not become involved in it. Now, you say, explain that. Let me explain that. That means God is loving and caring. And He is concerned about the affairs of your life. But He's not caught up in the muck and the mire. He is able to speak into it and bring freedom in the midst of it. And set you free. His power is absolute. The conditions that bind you and the circumstances that surround you does not bind Him. He's free. What I'm saying to you this morning, let me just give you some some, some, synonyms. He's total. He's out and out. He's unconditional. He's unquestionable. He's conclusive. He's infallible. He's unlimited. He's unrestricted. He's unrestrained. He's unbounded. He's infinite. He's ultimate. He's supreme God. And when you talk about His power, He's inexhaustible. He's immeasurable. He's incalculable. He is endless. He's full of glory. He's wholehearted. He's undeniable. He's unfailing. He's faultless. He's flawless this morning. He's perfect. He is the God that stepped out on nothing and spoke something into existence this morning. He's God all by Himself. It's big in front. It's 11.58. I'm fixing to quit. He delivered us, the Word says in Isaiah 43, verse 21. He's delivered us to show forth His praise. Look at somebody and say, He brought me out of the pit to show forth His praise. Some of you not participating. Look at somebody and say, He brought me out of the pit to put forth His praise. It's a word to Bethesda this morning. Get a hold of it. God is fixing to sweep over this place with a great sense of healing. Don't be afraid to bear your wounds to the Master. He's calling us out of our sin. He's calling us out of our bondage. He's calling us home. He's calling us out of our past. Some of us can't get anywhere because we've never left where we are. We can't get to where we need to be. You got to leave where you are. He's delivering us out of our past failures. Do you know how many people are stooped and can't offer praise because they're embarrassed because of their failures? Look at somebody and say, We're all losers, saved by the grace of God. He's delivering us out of our addictions. Please don't look at Teen Challenge when you say addictions. Look at your neighbor. God's delivering me out of all of our addictions. Whether that's drugs or pornography or whatever it is, God is the deliverer this morning. He wants to take us from our past. He's calling us out of our past fears, our past frustrations, our past relationships. And can I just stop here just a minute? 12, straight up 12. Some of us... Who said that? Thank you. Some of us need to leave previous relationships. We keep dipping back in. Let me just say this. I'm going to close this so you don't get any more nervous. Let me say this. When God brought Israel to the face of Jericho, and I'm not going to preach that sermon, I'm just going to tell you this. To the face of Jericho, they had a circumcision party there. Everything had to be done according to the law. But it was there when Moses or Joshua began to cut away the foreskin same happens to us circumcision or uncircumcision availeth nothing but the cutting away of the foreskin of the heart in other words God's going to save us give us a tender heart the minute they finished the circumcision the word says all the men who were the children of the men who died in the wilderness they went back to camp until they were healed and the Lord said to Joshua this, This day I have removed the shame of slavery from you. When God gives you a new heart, He's removed the shame of where you come from. People might see you the same. He does not see you. And you know that story. Here it goes. Just, just, just give me just three minutes. Here goes the group. God gave them command. Here's how this works and here's how the walls come down. First goes the warriors and then the priest and then the ark and then some more warriors. Just keep going around that thing for six days and on the seventh day. And they blew these horns, these ram's horns. Now, if that was us, we'd be blowing silver trumpets and playing gold trombones. Not God. You ever heard a ram's horn? Very few people can make them sound real pretty. But it was the sound of God striking fear into those people. They'd walk around those walls blowing those horns. You ever wondered what was in that ark? And here's where I'm going with this. You ever wondered what was in that ark, that little three and a half foot by two and something foot box? If it was us, we'd have all of our jewelry and all of our treasures and all the precious gold vessels we have in it. Not God, not God. In that box was the pot of manna, the golden pot of manna, indicating the rejection of God's people to His provision. There was Aaron's rod that budded because the people were complaining against leadership. Bad thing. If God puts people up, let God put them up and take them down. Keep your two cents out of it. There's that Aaron's rod that budded. Let me tell you something. God said, Because you've rejected my authority. That's what's in the box. Rejection of provision, rejection of authority. God said, put those sticks out before me. And He did the next morning. Only one of them had not only budded, it had blossomed and it had produced fruit. But it was an indication of the children of Israel's rejection of God's authority. And then there was the two tablets which indicated the rejection of God's perfect way of living. I'm thinking, God, why you put all that kind of stuff, all this failure stuff in the box? But you got to know this morning that God didn't see all that was in the box anymore because there was a certain covering of atonement that lay on top of that ark. And when God looked down upon the weakness of man, He didn't see it anymore. He just saw the blood of the Lamb. Every day when they walked around those walls, it wasn't, it it just was a clear indication. It was God's power and man's weakness walking around it. Know this this morning, it ain't all about you. That walk around that thing and all along that was God's power and the weakness of man. God's power and the weakness of man. And know that this morning that if you'll expose that weakness to Him, God said, I'll make my strength perfect there. I want you to stand with me. I don't know if I've made sense. The older I get, the worse I am at making sense. I'm a real useless board member on this fellow, in this fellowship most of the time. I'm not good at numbers. In fact, I don't even have a lot of interest in them. What I do have an interest in is the heart of this fellowship and where God's taking it. Listen here. God's, God's making good on every word that's ever been said over this fellowship. I'm like excited out of my skin saying, God, do it, do it, do it. I told Dan, I said, I ain't going nowhere. I'm here. I'm going to see the fruition of all the words. And I'm telling you now, if you'll begin to offer up a deep sense of praise and gratitude, God is bringing in and sweeping over this fellowship with a healing. It's going to be spiritual healing, psychological. I mean, you know, everybody that not only comes out of bondage has problems. Sometimes we got psychological stuff going on. It's one thing to come out of Egypt. It's another thing when we have to get Egypt out of us. It's all up in us. And God's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to psychologically heal you. I'm going to emotionally heal you. I'm going to fix it in your life. Where you'll never have to look outside of me again for wellness. Now, here's what I want to do. And I going to have you come up to the front. Everybody's hungry. But if you have a broken heart and a wounded spirit this morning, I want you to step into the aisle. Do not, do not be embarrassed this morning. I'm not just speaking to Teen Challenge only. If you have a broken heart and you have a wounded spirit, do not feel embarrassed. I don't care your age. If you're a part of this family, you're family. somebody needs to be able to wrap their around you sometimes we can't get loose from what people have said to us how I many know oh, people's words define us sometimes and it's hard to shake that definition off of us You've heard me say this, but when I was a kid, about 15 years old, and I really gave my heart to the Lord for the 600th time. But this time I meant it. And God knew I meant it. And the enemy stepped up to one of the old elders in the church, and he said, that kid will never amount to anything. And that, that took me down to the core. It put a certain determination in me, but it wounded me deeply. And it took me a little bit of time to work out from under it. And the pastor knew it. He'd take me to meetings and prayer meetings and camp meetings. I didn't even know what they were. He was actually at that time applying that salve to my spirit. I heard the other elders say to him, leave that boy alone. He'll be okay. And you know what this morning? I've got that deep sense in me that God's encouraging me to tell you it's gonna be okay. Now, I don't have a right to say that it's not that it's gonna be fun. I can assuredly, based on the gospel, tell you God's got you. It'll be okay. I'm not gonna say you won't bear the C word in your body, but I'm gonna tell you this it'll be Got you. Now I just want you to look at the people that's family. If you're not family and you can't wrap yourself around the wounded, don't even look that way. But if you got the capacity to wrap yourself around somebody that's standing here, I want you to put your hands around them. It's not a time for judgment. It's not a time to say, oh I know this about them. So what that qualifies you for is food stamps, basically. But if you've got compassion and God's stirring this up in your heart and we who are outcasts are coming home to join the rest of the outcast, wrap yourself around them this morning. And I mean some of you need to wrap yourself around them. Not only this morning, but in the days ahead. And I want to pray this morning I want to pray that God will just begin that healing this morning and He'll sweep over this fellowship.